0: So Matt has been, has been telling me this story or, or asking us to feature this story about a harmonica man over and over and over again, like I can't count how many times I've had to hear let's do the harmonica man story, but over summer we finally got around to doing it and it's a story brought to you by Etalau in Singapore.
1: How many times do you reckon I asked you to do this?
0: I don't know, but it's been months. I would say months. <laughs>
1: it's a good story. Enjoy. The Collective Music Therapy Podcast, brought to you by Asami and Matt.
0: Bringing you innovative ideas and progressive perspectives from the world of music therapy.
1: We're opening up a discussion about the ways in which music is being used to support mental health and well-being in both acute settings and daily life.
0: Thank you for listening. It's not always easy finding stillness and clarity in our busy lives.
1: Here at Collective Music Therapy, we have specifically designed a 20-minute music and mindfulness guided audio to help you ease into a more present state. Using music therapy methods and studio quality recordings, we have created a unique experience to help you find your best you. Curious? Head over to stillnesssounds.com for your free download now. So recently we got in contact with Etta Lau. Etta Lau. is a music therapist based in Singapore. And she told us of this really fantastic story that came from the uh, aged care facility that she works in. So she works as a music therapist and she works in a multidisciplinary team. And here's her story.
2: To give a bit of background on the client I work with, let's call him Mr Chan, that's not his real name. Mr Chan is a Chinese male, he's 88 years old, he is Chinese educated, so this makes a difference in Singapore because there are the group of people who are Chinese educated and cannot speak. English very well and now English is the lingua franca in Singapore um, he lives with his second son and daughter-in-law uh, he has an elder son and a daughter who are not so committed in the care for him and his wife is separated as in they have not gone through legal proceedings but they've been estranged for a few years for quite a number of years maybe about decades so his son is English educated but converses with his dad through simple Mandarin and Hokkien which is a Chinese dialect. Uh, Mr. Chan has a diagnosis of dementia with underlying depression and also some kind of Parkinsonism in gait. He also has behavioral issues such as delusions and poor vision, like because he needed to go for cataract surgery, which he has resisted. His mini mental state examination, which is what we use to gait where they are, which is the MSSE for short, is 18 upon 30, which suggests that he has moderate cognitive impairment. You might recognise
0: Etta's voice from a previous episode that we did last year, it was episode 11, where Etta really helped us to understand culturally sensitive practice. But here she's telling us about the the beloved harmonica man, So, so let's hear a little more from Etta.
2: So why he came to hospital is because he tried to threaten his tenant because they're staying in the house and then there's a person who rents a room and tried to threaten his tenant with a screwdriver. But because of his poor vision and because he's not as strong as what he used to be, he failed in his attempt to threaten his tenant. And then his son felt like, oh, I think we don't know what's happening to him. Let's know admit him to hospital and see if they can find out what's wrong so they know that he has been having uh, dementia for a while because they started to realize that you know they used to just leave him at home while they went out to work and prepare meals for him but they started realizing that he was not eating the meals from the know that has been prepared for him because he has forgotten that the meals are there and then there are days where he try at night he tries to leave the house unlock the lock but he cannot fa- come home so that's a bit of what he was like before so when i first met him he was already in hospital for a couple of weeks i think and apparently in another what, he was supposedly aggressive and difficult and always tried to you know uh escorn from the geriatric chair because they put a table and he tried to, and to find ways to slip out of it and they found it difficult and they were afraid that they couldn't care for him well.
1: So as you can hear, Mr Chan wasn't in a, in a good way and his family obviously, were you know struggling dealing with the changes in the way that you know he was actually communicating and relating and you know becoming very confused. And
0: what do you think of For me, coming from an Asian background or being of Asian background, it's this kind of persona of a very stoic, quiet, patriarchal figure in the family, especially kind of around, maybe our grandparents' age, like that's incredibly common. I think a lot of people, maybe of Asian heritage, I'm not too sure about other cultures, can really relate to this sort of man in their lives.
1: I mean, you know, there's so many aspects to Mr. Chan's personality and his culture and coming from a non-Asian background there's so much that I don't understand about you know what is actually going on for this for this gentleman so I'm really fascinated to actually hear how Etta is going to work with this gentleman to uh, help him and his family. Here's how she approached it.
2: when i first saw him he was very ready to engage you know and i felt that it seemed like he has been lonely for a while that was what i felt so he talked about a lot of things he talked about um, the japanese world war and then uh, he saw that i was on the keyboard and suggested playing some revolutionary songs and and that sent to give me a kind of sensing of where he was like he was quite you know China centric No, he saw himself as a very Chinese uh, person and I felt that okay from how I should engage him is I should be really a bit more traditional in the way I talked to to him and also about the topics I talked to him about and then I started suggesting to him some of the songs which I know was from his era that he might be interested in and he sang along uh and he seemed to have a very wide repertoire of songs. He also told me, you know, after like maybe about 20 minutes or 30 minutes of chatting, then he told me that, you know, he felt like, you no know, life was useless. Um, when I asked if there was anything that he did at home, he said that no, because he couldn't see because he had very poor vision. He would just sit at home. I said, no, do you watch TV? Do you read newspapers? You know, what do you do to pass your time? He said, I just sit at home and I wait for my son to come home. So, um... As we started playing music, it seemed that he actually knew a lot of songs and I was wondering why this was never a resource for him. So that was pretty curious. Um, And we started singing and suddenly he... no, he noted I could play the piano very well, so that's what he said, and I was like, oh yeah, I can play the piano, do you play any instruments, and then he said, oh, I used to play the accordion, and I also can play the harmonica, and I was like, harmonica, <laughs> I have one in my bag, I think this is a good chance for him to come and, you know, try something new, and then, um, but I was a bit hesitant because I have used the harmonica with some other patients who said that they could play the harmonica before, and they found that you know with their age they couldn't breathe as well on the harmonica and the harmonica size was different and you know people have different ways of wanting to play the harmonica so it was a bit you know i was a bit ginger about introducing it but i just thought no, let's just give it a try we never know and then he was very specific he was the first guy who said oh i need to gargle i need to rinse my mouth first before i play your harmonica which suggests to me he must have built up certain good habits, you know, you know, when picking up the instrument. So he went, you know, and then it was a good time for the OT to do an assessment on him to see whether he could wash his hands properly and then, and do the rinsing task. So that was like an opportunity, and then so they were doing that. And then he came back and then he took the harmonica and started playing. Yeah. So I was quite amazed that he was able to play rather completely. Because he already told me that was not the harmonica that he used to play. His harmonica was a bit different. And you know, and then the other nurses and nursing staff in the ward were very amazed as well. They were like, Wow, we didn't know that he could play. So that became like a life changer for him because then he said, you No, know, wow, music really rejuvenated me. I feel like I found my youth. So it turned out that he stopped playing. Uh, the harmonica once he had a family and that was probably about 50 or 60 years ago and he used to be you know very interested in songs and you know that's why he had a very very wide repertoire of songs but his wife apparently didn't really like his uh, habits uh, or his hobbies and so he kind of put it to a stop so that was where I first found him and then subsequently we connected and then every day he would look forward to sessions and I was doing a whole range of different things. Like, so I was trying to do a bit of music assisted counselling and then um, I was also trying to get him to participate with other people because he seemed to be a bit wary of people of different races. He was polite but he could be a bit wary so I wanted to put him in a group with some of them. Um, and then. I also wanted to use it as an opportunity to tell him that there's other things he could continue doing at home because he could now, he has now found a hobby and he has regained his interest in music and songs and then his stay was actually very extended because there were a lot of other complications along the way, we, you know, sometimes related to hospital administration, sometimes related to family and um, so I saw him in two parts. So he was with me for about a week, then he was transferred out and then, After he was transferred out, for some reason, he came back with something... I mean, he came back not as well as before. And then so we started focusing on other things. He came back and then we worked for another, I think, three weeks or so before uh, I went on leave and then he subsequently went home. Um, The goals were slightly different towards the end because I think he was very anxious about going home. It was also a bit different because... He seemed to have built up a relationship only with me and I was trying to be careful not to be so be the person who is, he's so reliant on. But over the course of the time, um, he was playing the harmonica a little bit more actively in his first part of the stay and then subsequently he didn't play it as much because he felt that he didn't play it to the standard that he wanted or what it used to be and kept Saying that the harmonica was not the right harmonica. He kept saying that the harmonica, he, he wanted a specific China brand of harmonicas, and I'm like, I had to tell him, you know what, that China brand of harmonica doesn't exist anymore, or you know. So, because we have built up the relationship so well towards the end, I could actually just kind of like, you no, know, tell him off, but in a very nice way, in a joking way, so that he still thinks he knows that I'm respectful to him. And across, a, and this whole time, right? what was interesting was there was a few things that happened one was that I observed his song choices and they were a bit obscure but they all seemed to have a certain intent to it the other thing was he actually agreed to go for cataract surgery so he had better vision which definitely improved his quality of life because at the start remember he refused because he was saying that oh you know I'm about to die I actually want to you know commit suicide you know uh, you know what's the word? what what's <laughs> there's nothing worth living you know in my life anymore during the first time i met him he would talk about these things but i didn't think he was about to really go and commit suicide like. and then his son had the same assessment as me because his son said that you know my father would say all these things but i think physically he will be afraid he would not do it but you know you could tell that he's definitely in low mood because he's talking about these things and he was definitely lonely and he wasn't able to have that kind of relationship with his son even though the son was committed in caring for him just because of family dynamics and you know the son is also very pragmatic and then you know there was also the relationship between the father and son was the typical Chinese the older generation Chinese stoic male kind of relationship so they care for each other but it's a bit different and his you know daughter and elder son don't really visit him so there's a lot of things when he was talking through the when we were doing music therapy where he was talking about regret he was talking about missing his mother about you know wishing that he had you know somebody who understood him and then uh, you know why the, you know, the song choices were all quite poignant so i thought that was very interesting um actually along the way why he stayed in hospital for so long was because we wanted to go in for another uh, procedure which the geriatrician felt would improve his walking and then he'll be a bit more steady then he would be able to venture out with the community with you no know, better eyesight and everything but as with all procedures as with age there would be certain risks so I think the family decided they would not take the risk in doing that procedure so um, to be honest, I have no idea what happened to him after I was discharged after he was discharged because I was away and I kind of feel like because especially when he had such strong attachment to me, I'm really curious to see how he's doing, but I'm also worried about breaking the boundaries because where we had our, you know, uh, therapy sessions was within the hospital itself, but I was preparing him for my departure as well as his discharge for as long as a whole week before I left. And then we left, we kept taking videos and then I burned him video CDs of his videos, showed him how to do it. No, um, no printed pictures for him, I suggested new hobbies he should do when he's home because he said he was worried about going home and he hasn't been home for like about three months by then. And then, um, I also uh, wrote him a thank you card. I also gave him the harmonica because he, was, he didn't want to play any other harmonica. He was only interested in that harmonica. But I was thinking that harmonica was at least something he didn't need to sing with someone. You know, he could at least practice that on his own. So I said, you know, this harmonica is really significant because remember, the first time you picked up a harmonica after 60 years is this harmonica. It also is actually very, it's also a memento. It's also you know, s- you know, significant in, t- in terms of memory. So I think it's a nice keepsake. I think you should continue playing it. <laughs> So we kind of you know, gave him things so that he could have resources when he goes home.
0: That was Edda describing the story really beautifully. Like, how, how about we just kind of pull out what we really took out of the story? Like What really stuck out for you, would you say?
1: I think one of the things that really blew me away was it's like 50 or 60 years since this gentleman uh, hasn't played the harmonica and all of a sudden he's picking this harmonica up and it's this sense of this youthful vitality almost that is actually... Uh, being experienced at this time and it's it's like this object and an experience that encapsulates his whole life up until this point and he's finding this renewed sense of capacity in a sense and from there you know I just can't believe that you know 60 years later he's able to play a harmonica Mm. Um, or even
0: that he wants to really
1: yeah that's right Mm. Yeah, you could imagine, you know, looking at that that object and saying, oh, you know, that's something I used to do. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I was once good at it. No, I don't want, like, you know, that's actually quite brave of him mm. to actually pick it up and sort of say, all right, I'm going to give this a go. And, you know, the years of time that has elapsed and, and the idea of loss of capacity, he's not really, he doesn't seem phased by it. He's mm. more about, like, no, I'm going to give this a give this
0: a go yeah i think that's credit to edda for creating some kind of environment like through whatever work she did all of that thinking that she did that that i guess invited him to want to um engage in playing the harmonica again like yeah. that's i would say that is a real therapeutic intervention
1: yeah that's beautiful that's exactly right i mean uh, it sounds like there were other things that I think that she did as well to make that happen. You know, Mm. she really looked at who he was, the kind of music that he was into. Uh, She really...
0: And his values as well. And his values, Mm.
1: absolutely. And she really looked at at the way to actually communicate within the relationship uh, about what his expectations would be you know, and how he wanted to be treated, mm. and what she thought was appropriate—it's pretty—it's—it's uh, it's high-end stuff.
0: Mm. I think it's also really good how, um, you know, she her Eto herself was not confident on harmonica, or, or she mentioned, like, she didn't, she wasn't really sure how to use it, or what it would do, yeah. or if it would be okay for an old man to be blowing into a harmonica. Yeah, that's <laughs> I right. I think that's what she said. But, um, you know, I think that that's a real good reflective process like you could easily be like oh not the harmonica I'm not sure how to use it but yeah. then she just kind of swallowed all of that pride yeah. and was like okay I'll give yeah. it a go yeah and that's it right. was it was really effective
1: yeah that's right because you know she had had those problems with with people in the past where she would tried to use it and yeah it just it didn't go the way that she thought but she still Yeah, she didn't let that bother her. And Mm. that's, I mean, I think that that's a fantastic therapeutic approach because she's still treating each individual Mm. as a unique moment in time. And I think that that's beautiful therapeutic work. I agree.
0: Do you think there are methods that you shy away from just because you personally don't think they're fun or effective or you don't like them?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I've... I've probably had a lot of more experience of singing songs together as uh, lately. So, I mean, it's, that feels like a strength. So, you know, and it, it sort of works very well in the context that I'm, that I'm in. Um, and there's one thing that I have actually been doing more of that I would say that I wouldn't have thought I was doing, which is a lot of instrumental guitar playing which I never thought I would end up doing at all in, in the work that I do but there's actually a lot more and it's and it's led by the client that's mm. that what they actually want at the time so yeah so I mean I guess you know as I keep getting older and change and have all these different therapeutic experiences with people I don't think that there's things that I shy away from but I do feel that I'm surprised when they come up, mm, yeah. yeah, that's
0: a nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's 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 more of it. it's just like, oh wow, I, I, I'm surprised that someone might ask me to do something or that they want this type of music, and you know, it's and it's wonderful. Mm. It's it's a wonderful thing that comes up.
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of how. Like, obviously, the story is quite um, intricate, but they're the points that we really pulled out of it like the things that really stuck with us and we wanted to discuss but um, here next up you'll hear a little excerpt of Etta summarising that journey
2: At least one thing I think that came out of it was that I think he realised that he was not totally useless he was still able to do what he wanted to do. It was a reminder of who he was as a person, that he was also a musician. It was also a reminder through songs of the experiences he had had, the regrets he had had with his uh, children as well as with his mother. You know, it reminded him, I think, of his identities. And then I think what the geriatrician was very surprised was that he remembered my name immediately after the first session. He consistently asked for Madam Lau, even though I told him my name is not Madam Lau, but Lau is correct because that's my surname. And then he would also know after I'd gone on leave that I was away for three weeks. He could remember on the days after that, and this is a guy with dementia. He could remember that, oh, Madam Lau is away because she's going going away for three weeks. And he could remember three weeks. So I think when they did the... When they did the MSSE with him, subsequently it was also a little bit higher, but I don't think it was totally related to music. But there could be you no know, there could be other reasons to it. But you know, definitely his outlook was better, and you know, the by sheer sure fact that he actually went for the cataract surgery, I think his quality of life has improved heaps because at least now he can possibly walk better at home. He could if he wanted to watch TV, if he wanted to read newspapers, if he wanted to practice calligraphy, he can at least see what he's writing you know (laughs) so i think that was a really good thing that came out of this
1: so the wonderful thing that we're both taking away from this one of the things is the fact that music therapy doesn't exist without the other services that are going on around this gentleman. And the wonderful thing is the fact that with the music therapy experiences of this gentleman, he's able to maintain and actually, not even maintain, is actually his quality of life has improved. And through the music therapy process, they've drawn in occupational therapists they've been able to actually convince him to actually go ahead and uh, get his cataracts removed ultimately having better health outcomes for this gentleman in terms of quality of life mm. I'd also say that although these things happen are happening within the team one of the things that keeps coming back to me is that Etter and uh, Mr. Chan were able to you know really unite in a sense and really find these therapeutic potentials of of an idea of vitality through music Mm. and i think that that's really that's what blows me away about this story i absolutely love it what about you
0: um i think going back to that first point you made about um the the team the multidisciplinary team and um, at my workplace, right from the start, people asking, like they, we kind of outlined that one of the goals of music therapy was ultimately to create positive engagement with the service. And I never really understood what that meant and I just kind of went along with it. But now that I've been working for over a year there, I mean, it's it's clear that music therapy, you know, I can't speak for all populations, but definitely for ours, that it helps to create this this connection and this trust with an organization so I work with young people experiencing homelessness so a very disengaged cohort and you know I have a group music therapy program a weekly drop-in and I ran that for six months last year and one of the girls she came 21 times so if you count how many weeks there are in six months she pretty much came to every single session and the return rates of music therapy are really high, like it's over 50%, both in individual and group, where people keep returning back over and over again, every week, um, and if we go back to this girl who, who's been engaged for 21 weeks doing group music, she came in for one service, she didn't really know what she was doing, and and now that she drops in every week, she's been to the dentist, she's had her feet checked, She's had her. she gets regular haircuts, her housing is supported constantly. Everyone's asking her, how's your housing, where are you? She's connected with Centrelink, like she's engaged with the service and it's through, one, she enjoys coming to do music but then at the same time she's gotten used to the space and gotten used to all the staff. And it. I feel like that really relates to Etta's story, like Mr Chan really... Got to know Edda, and he felt comfortable with her. So when Edda said, "Can the OT join us?" he was like, "Oh, I guess," you know, like it wasn't such a big deal. Yeah. So I mean, I think that that's really what I take out of it. Like it, it really goes to show this thing called positive engagement and how important it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I love it.
0: Like, let's just round Edda's episode off. I mean. If you're interested in hearing more about Edda's work, scroll down on our SoundCloud because there's an episode of her talking about culturally sensitive practice. Um, I believe it's episode 11. So have a listen to that to hear more of Edda's work. For listening to our podcast. If you would like more information on collective music therapy or how to find a music therapist in Australia or overseas, head to www.collectivemusictherapy.com.
1: The details of our music therapy work are based on real experiences. To protect the confidentiality of our clients, we have changed enough identifying details of the people we work with to protect their identity. However, the heart of the therapeutic experience is still retained.
0: Stay tuned for more podcasts over the coming weeks.